Welcome to the Convergence Podcast, and thank you for joining us. In this episode, our lead pastor, Greg Seamus, continues his series on understanding God's economy. We pray that the message speaks to you and encourages you wherever you're at. God bless. Take your Bibles, turn to Nehemiah chapter 13, and I just want to speak to you very briefly today. Uh, I had just a real encouraging note last week um, regarding the messaging and just making the connection with God's economy and sonship. And we spent the last year, really, literally about a year, just talking about who we are um, in connection to our Heavenly Father, that we are sons and daughters of the living God. We have royal blood, whoa, royal blood flowing through us. It's, it's kingdom. And that we have security knowing even in some of the, some of the clips in the worthy movement where, you know, one of them said, I know that I know that I know that I know, maybe a hundred times, that uh, I'm fully accepted and fully loved by the Lord, not based on my achievement, just based on his grace uh, and his love for us. And so that, that has been, that is a, that is the huge foundation piece. So if we truly uh, come under that revelation of who we are to him and who he is to us, we have total security in our walk with the Lord. Right? And then we can trust him with everything. Everyone say everything. With everything. I mean with our life, with our, with our spouses, with our friends, with our children with our finances, with the resources. And God has called us to, we're, we're not owners of anything, we're stewards of everything. And that, that the, the finances in particular, when we deal with, we talk about God's economy, we talk about the economy of heaven, is that he has given me the resources um, to steward and they're not mine, they're his. So the house I have really isn't mine, it's his. The car I drive is not really mine. It's, man, it's pretty quiet today. Yes, my, my name is on the title deed. Yes, my name is, you know, I can't have Heavenly Father put his name. That'd be pretty miraculous. Um, but, but all those things are, are given to me to steward. And, and ultimately, my belief is that that does have uh, eternal impact. So, so how I steward things on earth has everything to do with what I will be doing when I rule and reign with him. So, so I want you to be thinking about that um, along those lines. And, and remember, I mean, I know I've said this before. I mean, eternity, if I were to go to this corner of the room and I had a rope that extended all the way to this corner of the room and I, mar- I, I kind of measured off a couple inches, that's my life here on earth compared to what God has for eternity. In fact, there is no corner wall, right? That just goes on and on. And so, so what we are experiencing here, though, is super joyful and we love life. What we're going to be doing, we're going to be reigning with him through eternity. I have no idea what that's all. I might have some clues looking in the book of Revelation, but, but um, all I know is that we'll have new bodies, say amen. amen. We'll have a glorified body that, that actually can take the presence the fullness of the presence, and so then, and then we'll rule and reign with him. So I want to I steward everything well, 
I want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And, and so, so this is the measure for us. And so last week, I just grabbed the podcast if you want. Uh, that's, Jordan will be happy about that, that I said, check out the podcast. And uh, yep. And so I just had a heart-to-heart talk with, every, with you all. And so if you, if you missed that, I, I, I honestly just can't, can't stand any kind of manipulation. Um, that just rubs me the wrong way. And so, um, and I, I really can't imagine, I, I just can't imagine not tithing. I just can't. And, and to me, um, I like what Bill says, Bill Johnson says, your 10% is just, you know, rent for living on his planet and, and breathing his air and, and all those things that go along with that. And, and I would agree with him on that as well. And so, I, honestly, I've been, I've been tithing for almost 35, almost 40 years, and um, I can't imagine not. Not sowing into his economy. Not sowing into heaven. And so, um, I just want to encourage you along those lines. So, I just want to talk to you a little bit out of Nehemiah uh, chapter 13. And this whole, this whole idea of kicking Tobiah out. Everyone say, Tobiah. Has it, if you're familiar with Nehemiah, we know that, we know that uh, Israel is in captivity. We know that Babylon swallowed him up and took ownership over the nation. And they were in captivity for 70 years. And all of a sudden, God moves on the king of Babylon to actually begin to rebuild uh, Israel. And so, namely, Nehemiah's part was actually rebuilding the wall. And so we know that the wall was there to, for protection, for fortification, and so that was Nehemiah's assignment. What's interesting to note in that whole process is that um, Esther is alive and part of this process. Some of the other minor prophets are alive and part of the process, and they're all speaking into this reality. So Nehemiah uh, steps on the scene, and he has a huge conflict when he's, when he's going to rebuild the wall. And if you, if you read the book of Nehemiah, there are, there are two people that are basically his arch enemies in resisting the move of God in rebuilding the wall uh, in Jerusalem. And so those two guys were Tobiah and Sanballat. Now, I would never name my kid Sanballat, but, nor would I probably ever name my kid to- Tobiah, but that's a, that's a little bit. Anyway, so... So here they are, they're in this scene, and Nehemiah takes 52 days, and, and he rebuilds the wall. And that's, we see that in Nehemiah 4, we see that in Nehemiah 5, there's heavy resistance, families are actually rebuilding the wall together, it's a great, it's just a great illustration of, the, of establishing the kingdom of God, and families with a weapon in one hand, and building on the other hand, and and just doing this kind of stuff. And so Nehemiah takes off, he rebuilds the wall, he takes off, and he goes back to Babylon because that's where he's serving. I think he's a cupbearer and he's serving. And a cupbearer, you know, that's not a great job because they always take the, they, they drink, just make sure it's not poisoned, and then they give it to the king, right? So not a super great job. Um, nonetheless, that's what he was, but he was a man full of wisdom and, and he was a type A personality. So if you don't know anything about, I mean, he was a choleric, strong-willed, go for it, zealous for God, 100% zealous for God. 
And so there he is. I did say 100% for all the millennials out there. Um, so I picked that up from my son as well. 100%, 110%, you know. So he was fully, anyway. Um, so that's the situation where he's at. He comes, he's there, he, and then he, he comes back and he revisits Jerusalem. And this is really where Nehemiah 13 picks up. They go ahead and they, they read the law and they find out that uh, no Ammonites and no Moabites are to be permitted with the children of Israel. Tobiah is an Ammonite. And Tobiah and Sanballat were the resistors of expanding and, and growing Jerusalem in the more whatever that word is, allegorical sense, the kingdom of God. So let's pick it up, Nehemiah chapter 13, and let's look at verse 1. We're going to go through, I think, 12 verses. On that day, the book of Moses was read aloud in the hearing of the people, and there it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever be admitted into the assemblies of God. I mean, into the assembly of God. Because they had not met with the Israelites with food and water, but had hired Balaam to call a curse down on them. Our God, however, turned the curse into a blessing. We could say amen to that. When the people heard this law, they excluded from Israel all who were in foreign, of foreign descent. Let's go to verse 4. Before this, Elias, Elias Hib, yeah, easy for you to say, Eliashib, the priest, had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of our God. He was closely associated with Tobiah, who was an Ammonite. And he had provided him with a large room formerly used to store the grain offerings and incense and temple articles and also the tithes of grain, new wine, and olive oil prescribed for the Levites, musicians and gatekeepers, as well as the contributions for the priests. But while, verse, uh, verse 6, but while all of this was going on, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I returned to the king. Sometime later, I asked his permission and came back to Jerusalem. Here, I learned about the evil, the evil thing Eliashib, I know I'm not pronouncing that totally correct, had done in providing Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God. I was greatly displeased and threw all Tobiah's household goods out of the room. I gave orders to purify the rooms, and then I put back into them the equipment of the house of God and the grain offerings and the incense. I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them, and that all the Levites and the musicians responsible for the service had gone back to their fields. So I rebuked the officials, pretty strong word, 
So I rebuked the officials and asked them, why is the house of God neglected? Then I called them together and stationed them at their posts. All Judah brought the tithes of grain, new wine, and olive oil into the storerooms. I put Shelemiah, Shelemiah, the priest, Zadok the scribe, and a Levite named, you got it, in charge of the storerooms and made Hanan, Hanan, son of Zakur, the son of, yep, their assistant, because they were considered trustworthy. They were, they were made responsible for distributing the supplies to their fellow Levites. So let me just kind of set the scene for you. Eliashib, the high priest, who is responsible for the storerooms, was aligned with Tobiah, the Ammonite, who was the actual enemy of God's people and God's plan. Now, some commentaries say that they were aligned through, I don't know, you know, marriage. They were aligned through, they were, they were relatives of some sort. Nonetheless, Tobiah had an agenda to actually destroy the work of God from the get-go. He aligns himself with Eliah, the, the high priest. I'll just say the high priest from now on. Uh, or the, anyway, the high priest from now on. And he aligns himself with the high, this high priest, and he has a target. And the target is the resources of God. Funny thing and, and real interesting in this story is that he doesn't put him in any other room but the place where the tithes and offerings go. So, he, so I don't know who made this suggestion. Maybe it was Eliashib. Maybe it was Tobiah. Nonetheless, that when the enemy has, the enemy only has access into the resources God has given you through agreement. The only way he has access to, uh, let's just say, since we're on, since we're on the, talk, the, you know, the topic of provision, he only has access to the provision that I have when I come, when I, only when I come in alignment with, that, with the enemy in terms of him having access into provision. Now, I understand things happen. I understand things take place. I understand that sometimes we're tested with our finances, like I totally, I totally get that. But we're talking about long-term assault into the resources of God. The one thing that I'm, I'm really zealous for, especially over the last several years, especially with the message of Ecclesia in, the, in God's government, in Jesus in Matthew 16, 18, where he says, the gates of Hades will not prevail against my Ecclesia, which is God's government on earth. The thing I've been the Lord has kind of been percolating in me, and I've been, I don't know, just looking at it a little bit different, and this is the question I posed last week, is that who's going to finance God's government? Now, I pay taxes to the United States of America. I pay taxes to the state of California, and God's plan and God's economy, at least the way I understand it, God's plan and God's economy is that believers are to sow into God's economy at the level of 10% minimum. So I invite you to, to gain a bigger picture than our own finances. 
I want you to get a bigger picture of how it affects, I'll just say me personally, because I tithe, how it affects me personally and actually get zealous if you're not already in that place for the, the kingdom expansion all over the world. Like we're actually part of a royal family that is called to extend a kingdom, an eternal kingdom. And that God has chosen to resource that kingdom through his sons and daughters who are on the planet who could actually sow into that financially so the kingdom of God is expanded. Now, some of you uh, had the privilege of seeing the call. I think it's the send. It's called the send now in Brazil. How many? Anyway, I just heard some testimonies, right? I mean, stadiums were filled, right? It takes, it takes resources to actually secure the stadiums. It takes resources to purchase the lights and the mics and so forth. It takes, it takes finances for actually to establish these places, whether it's a watering hole, whether it's a, whether it's a place of encounter, whether it's reaching a nation, you have to not only have the prayer lines going up, you have to not only have the worship and the presence of God, we also have to have the resources to go with it. This has always been God's plan. It's never changed. In fact, love me through this, right? Everyone say, we love you, PG. So, so really, the, the law is, is the minimum. Grace always exceeds the law. And so when I hear, what, the only time I, I react is when, like react, I don't know why I did it. Anyway, react is when um, I, I really sense a lot of like self-promotion around whoever's trying to take the tithe and offering. But nonetheless, I'm still sowing into the kingdom, regardless. Does that make sense? And so here we are in this story where the, the priest who actually knows better, who should know better, has aligned himself with Nehemiah's arch enemy, Tobiah, who should not even be in the assembly of God or the people of God based on the readings that we see in Nehemiah chapter 1. So, so Eliashib is not only allowing Tobiah into the very heart of the resources of the temple in Jerusalem, which actually funds the Levites and the musicians and the gatekeepers, he's actually bringing in an Ammonite who should never even be part of the assembly whatsoever. Now, this is a spiritual leader who represents the people in Jerusalem. Like this guy is the highest guy, the highest ranked official, the highest ranked, the priest is the highest. He is aligning himself with the enemy and the enemy has one focus and that is I'm going to pull myself into the storehouse and I'm going to dry up the resources and I'm going to end the work of God. And I don't want the church. I want the church to be the head and not the tail. I want the church, his church, to be fully resourced. I really want a movement. We're believing for revival. We want revival. But often, some, when I'm not sowing into the kingdom, 
I'm not sowing into revival, but yet I, if I'm not doing this, it's really hard for me to say, Lord, send revival. And I could actually say things like this, Lord, send revival. You know I have a hard time with resourcing that. I know that you could do, you could do it a million ways. Lord, send revival. Here, Tobiah has one, Tobiah has one eye. Anyway, that's weird. He had two. He has a focus, and that is I am going to align myself with this priest, and I'm going to get into the very storehouses of God. So what happens? Levites can't perform their duties. Gatekeepers can't perform their duties. Musicians can't perform their duties. And as you know, they were supposed to, gatekeepers, the Levites were there to clean the building, take care of the building, all this, you know. You had musicians, you had singers in the in the line of David and Solomon, like these things should have been established, and now they're out in the fields. They're actually not doing what God's called them to do because we have Tobiah in the storehouse. Wow, what were the people thinking? So now we have storerooms that are not filled with the resources of God. We have storerooms that are actually filled with the couches and everything else Tobiah brings in. And he's sitting, he's, he's building a home in the storehouses of the living God. And, and Jerusalem is suffering. So Nehemiah finds out and he gets, let's just say, a righteous anger. And Nehemiah doesn't mess around. And he comes in, he comes to Jerusalem, he gets word that Tobiah, can you imagine this? Tobiah is actually set his house in the very storerooms of God. Nehemiah, I, I get this picture of Jesus when he, you know, when he turned all the tables. Well, here comes, here comes Nehemiah. I don't know if Tobiah was in the room. I don't know if Tobiah was playing golf. I don't know where Tobiah was. Anyway, he wasn't playing golf. But, <laughs> but here comes Nehemiah, and he just he doesn't bat an eye, doesn't take a vote, doesn't, doesn't do anything. He says, clear it out. And so they just take all his stuff, and they throw it out. I don't even know where they threw it. They threw it out. And not only that, he, they say he purified the rooms, and now let's put back into those rooms the resources that are needed to establish, let's just say, you know, temple worship. Let's just say, you know, the singers and the musicians and the Levites. Let's establish God's centrality, God's rule and reign here in Jerusalem, starting with presence. I mean, it's a very simple story that illustrates really one point. I learned very early on when I don't tithe, when I don't give to God as a steward and as a son, then I actually come into agreement with the enemy. What are you talking about? I don't make any... 
I leave the storeroom open. The heavens over me, in terms of my finance, become closed. I can't pray for increase in my life if I'm not faithful with what he's given me. It doesn't make sense. So I encourage people, start tithing early. Because when it gets, when you get on later in life, for some reason it becomes harder, but I'm an all or nothing person. To me, if God said it, I'm going to do it. And so when I don't sow financially into the kingdom, based on what the scripture says, at least 10%, then I actually, I actually leave the door open for the enemy to come in. And Malachi talks about that, doesn't he? The Lord is like, test me in this. We don't want the devourer to come in. Now, the reason why I tithe is not because the devourer is going to come in. The reason why I tithe is because I want to be faithful to what God has entrusted to me. And in the process, the devourer steps out. So when I give, I am basically throwing the enemy out of my finances, of my resources. Because it's more than just our finances. It's our resources. All of it. But when we, when we preach the message, because there's been so much, I'll just say, contamination and manipulation, people, it's hard for people to sit in chairs with a level of trust, believing that it's, that it's, that there's an alternative motive, and it's not. Never has been. At least not here. I, I want, the Lord wants all of us to prosper. Can we say amen to that? He wants you to prosper. Turn to the person next to you and say, he wants you to prosper. He does. In every way. Boy, that was... In every way, shape, and form, he wants you to prosper. With your health, with your finances. But there's certain things that I have to do as a steward to secure that kind of prosperity. Right? And so it's, it's called sowing and reaping. It's... it's it's being found faithful with the resources that I have. So here's, here's a very simple question for, for all of us. Is actually who's in the storehouse? That's the question. I don't ever want the enemy in my storehouse. Because he's always going to take more than 10% anyway. Do you think he's going to just touch... The 10? The other thing, and again, that's secondary to me. The other thing is I want an open heaven. And I want, I want the favor of the Lord, the face of God, to shine down on me in every area of my life. Every area. I, I, I just want to be completely transparent with God. And I want to be able to say to him, it's all yours. All of it is yours. It's all yours. 
And on a good day, I can maybe see this far on a good day. And he can see it all. So he sees you when you're 70. He sees you when you're 80. Sees you when you're 90. Darlene's over. She's 91. 91. She look great for 91. In three days, technically, Wendy had to throw that in. In three days. So she's 90, technically, so I had it anyway. But he sees beyond that. So if he can get past our insecurities, well, how, how do I start? We'll talk about that in the next week or two. I'll just say this. I, again, I, when you're a Bible college student and you don't have a whole lot, you just give 10% right out of the top. But I'm telling you, in three months after I gave my tithe to the Lord, to the Lord, not to the church, I give it to the Lord. I'm part of a local family, but I give it to the Lord. When I did that, half of my expenses were cut in half in three months. What happened? My obedience released his favor. And it's not because I'm Greg Seamus. It's not because of anything other than his word works. So the question for us today is, who's in that place? Who governs the storehouse of your life? I pray it's the Lord. I really do. Well, you don't We'll talk about that later. I didn't even finish the sentence, but we'll still talk about it later. (laughs) There's nothing more that the enemy would want to do than to shut down the government of God. So the cause is big enough in me. The greater cause. That makes sense? And we have to fight the, we're, we're always coming against the consumer mentality. We're always coming against our entitlements and all the things. I want to sow into a kingdom that's everlasting. And he could do way more with 90% than I can do with 100. I've seen him do it. And Jesus made this startling comment. I mean, startling. Everyone say startling. Startling, startling comment. Jesus said this. If I can't trust you with natural resources, how can I trust you with the true, resource, the true riches? Natural riches, true riches. That is like, woo. I mean, so my stewardship is connected to revelation? My stewardship, my stewardship is connected to the supernatural? My stewardship impacts heavenly riches now? That's worth like, I got to get to the Greek on that. I got to get to the context on that. I got to dig into that because if Jesus said it, 
and that's true, then I am sowing. Because here's the question, what has more value to me? The natural or the supernatural? Man, sometimes I, some of the things that Jesus said that were recorded, you know, like, wow. Maybe that one shouldn't have got into the Bible. But he does it because he loves us, right? The whole motivation is he wants us to possess true riches. You hear his heart here? He wants us to possess the true riches. And that's just not for now. That's for my, my son and my daughters. That's for their children and their children's children. It's generational. It's not just for me. Father, I just pray today. Well, let's all stand, actually. Let's do that. You guys think I should have, I have a, a minute or two to get over to Darlene? Okay. If you don't, well, I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. Well, every, every I don't want to say every head close and every, anyway. Just a, just a private moment right now. I, and honestly, I, I would just really appreciate if you guys weren't looking around. No one was looking around. Just keeping your, your head bowed for a moment. If you, if you are struggling with this, if Tobiah's in the storehouse and, and you just want him out, I want to challenge you. Really, obedience takes him out. I don't want, I'm really zealous for this, honestly. I don't want you to be in agreement with the enemy in the place of your resource. I, I really don't. I, I want you to prosper. I want you to be the head and not the tail. So if, if Tobiah's there, I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. But I do want to pray for you. Would you just kindly slip your hand up and let me pray for you? And I'm not, I'm just glancing over the room. I'm not writing anything down. I'm not, <laughs> nothing. I just, I just want, I want God to invade that place. Anybody else? Put your hand up real high. Let me see it. Thank you for your honesty. So, Father, break in now with revelation and with light. Father, I pray that you would give our friends and our family courage 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 lord i pray that you would break every insecurity every level of fear we come against that in the name of jesus and the greatest thing that our friends and family could do is so into the kingdom of god and that you're a good heavenly father and that you love your kids and we can trust you if we can trust you, Father, with our eternity, we can trust you with our resources. So do it. Do it. And I pray, Lord, as, as they step into this place of obedience, 
God, I pray that you would prosper them like they've never been prospered before. And that really you would swing open the gates of heaven and provide all the things that have been stored up for them for so long. We thank you for it, Lord. We thank you for it, Lord. Yeah, in the name of Jesus, everyone said amen. Thank you again for listening. We hope that what was shared in this message leaves a lasting impact on your life and the lives of those around you. To hear more messages like this, go ahead and subscribe to our channel.